When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Welcome to the Mortcast, brought to you by the Blake Street Tavern, the big house on Blake, and DraftKings Sportsbook, your official sports betting partner of the NFL. Before I get started, I'd like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Mozzie in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado. Just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. They're always online at bfwdenver.com. You can pick yourself some of that red Zinfandel that's been finished in whiskey barrels. Um, I had some of that. It's really good. Uh, you can also get some of your 2017 Cabernet, uh, which is another recommendation of mine, or the Blake Street Blend. Basically, anything they got is great so if you want to make it down to the dairy block you feel safe go in there if you're not go to bfwdenver.com and pick yourself up a bottle you can get it via delivery shipment or you can do curbside pickup they're always online also at on facebook and instagram under blanchard family guides once again they're located between 18th and 19th in blake and Moisee in beautiful lower downtown denver colorado just a couple blocks away from coors field right in the middle of the dairy block you can reach them uh, via bfwdenver.com and you when you go in tell them i me jeff morton from csg podcast sent you there okay folks uh special podcast today i got a returned guest uh you you may know him from the bulwark um, you may also know him from not my party on snapchat and you may also know him from various guest spots on msnbc it is my personal friend a guy i speak i speak to uh every day and he patiently puts up with my very random texts it is my friend tim miller hello tim you also may know me from being the drunk guy in the corner at sancho's broken arrow or charlie's you know back in my heyday uh you know people listening to this colorado sports guy pod night know me from things outside of my multimedia career you know they might know me from Oh man, what was that sports? What was that horse race gambling place down on down on uh, Santa Fe or Federal? Oh yeah, what was that? Is that still called? around? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm dating myself. I'm trying to think about what it, what it, what were what were my other hot spots when I was a teen in Colorado. Oh my god, yeah. So to see, that's even newer for me. I my 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 hot spots were like the the old Triangle, which was in. Uh, uh, over in the Golden Triangle area, that was uh, anyway. That's a long story that I can't get into on this podcast. Um, but I, I, you know, there's a lot of news going on here, uh, Tim, and we're going to freeform this because I, there's a lot of stuff that has happened in the NBA, uh, and we can talk about anything that you want to talk about today. So, kind of let's just go back and forth here, and and we'll we'll see where the conversation leads us. I guess we'll start us off with 
basically COVID is rocking the NBA right now, just absolutely rocking it. But it's not only the NBA, the NFL is getting hit with it. The NHL is getting hit with it. Um, it's just, it's decimating the professional sports leagues right now. Um, just on a base surface, what is your thoughts about what's going on? So disappointing, Jeff. We were supposed to tape this on Jokemas mm-hmm. uh, two days ago. We were going to have a merry, merry, a very merry Jokemas episode and sort of reflect back upon you know all the presents and gifts that he's given us, and mm-hmm. you know, thinking about you know these you know in these dark COVID times, how nice it's been over the past two years to have my NBA league pass and just be able to watch Magic Jokic, uh, Jokic night in and night out. Mm-hmm. And here we go. We push it forward two days and like we're back into the depression um, mm. of, you know, our COVID reality. Uh, and, you know, the Mary Jokemas has, you know, the, the uh, can I push this metaphor to an annoying length? Like the Omicron <laughs> Grinch has, has, you know, taken a dump on our Mary Jokemas. Um, yeah, I, look, I, it's, it's concerning. I, I think that, you know, my, my big observation as, you know, I sort of look at how the NBA and other sports leagues have dealt with this and how that overlaps with, you know, my actual day job expertise of politics and, you know, these sort of cultural, broader cultural questions uh, is, uh, you know, I, the NBA was really, uh, you know, the bubble I thought was probably the best thing that any sports league did. It was very creative. I know it was really hard on the players and, you know, the people around the teams and not seeing their families and all that, but just mm-hmm. as a product, um, you know, it, it balanced public safety against putting a good product in the field. I thought that was much better than the empty stadiums, you know, that other leagues were doing. It was so depressing. Um, I really enjoyed the bubble a lot. Um, and, you know, now you're coming back this in this year. And it seems to me that like the mistake that they are making is, you know, is, is not doing what they did back then, which would, I'm not suggesting they, they go into a bubble, but is be honest with everybody about what are the risks and given these risks, what are our responsibilities, right? Like that is the question that all of us have to face. All the leagues have to face, everybody has to face. I was supposed to go to New York on Monday to see LCD Sound System, great band, Mm -hmm. um, as a little self-present to myself before I went to see family. And, you know, Omicron's everywhere in New York. I had to cancel. I canceled this trip because I'm like, I can't, I don't want to be the person that's carrying Omicron to a 90 year old, you know, um, you know, great grandmother, right? Right. Grandmother. Um, I I don't want to be risking putting other people at risk. Um, And I think that is, you know, what everybody just needs to be eyes wide open about this right now. This is a very contagious uh, virus. It um, it's much more contagious, it seems, uh, all, to all evidence points to than some of the past versions. It also might not be quite as severe. Partic- we don't exactly know yet, but mm-hmm. but signs point to that, and signs also point to the fact that we know that's not it's not particularly dangerous for people that are vaccinated and boosted, mm-hmm. right? And so if I you know and and we know it's not particularly dangerous for younger people and people that are that, that are people that are healthy. So so the risk profile here, if you're an NBA team, is is other people outside your your bubble um you know not maybe not a literal bubble like in orlando but your your social bubble right mm-hmm. so what do you do then so like that that's the question that the nba faces is like this is not necessarily a risk to us but we but it but it continuing is is going to potentially put others at risk others around in the community and you know how do we deal with that how do we protect people that are actually vulnerable how do we make sure the people that are playing uh, you know in these leagues are vaccinated and are boosted 
Um, you know, I saw a report yesterday, 98% of the military is boosted. It's or is vaccinated. It's amazing what happens when you make, when you make people do something right. and you force them to, um, you know, be responsible. People do it, you know, they'll sure there'll be your, you know, a handful of loud complainers, but, but the vast majority of people will go along with it. So, uh, you know, I, I think they're in a tough spot right now. Um, and, you know, NFL is obviously in a really tough spot this weekend with all what's going on with all the teams. But I, I think that there's a rational way to deal with it if everybody is just honest about about what who is actually at risk here. Right. It's not really the players. Right. It's 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 the other folks, um, you know, and it's people who have are immunocompromised older people and unvaccinated people mm-hmm. who's kind of it would be in my ranking the third <laughs> the group that I'm, I care about the third most <laughs> behind <Right. laughs> uh, behind responsible people who just can't get back to, you know, who, who the right. vaccines aren't working on. Um, right. And, and, and so, you know, what, what do they, what do they do from there? You know, I, I don't, uh, I'm not sure. And, and I don't, I don't think that, you know, uh, uh, like taking off, it's not like taking off a week is going to solve this. Like this is going to be around for, you know, another six weeks, a couple of months. Well, that gets into some uncomfortable conversations that w- no one really wants to have. And I, 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 I get it. I get it. And uh, let me just give people an anecdote. Um, as people uh, on the pod- podcast know, uh, my brother um, had leukemia, uh, was diagnosed in 2019 and went through his, his uh, uh, bone marrow transplant in November 2019. So he is literally only two years away from... Uh, having a, a, a new, basically a brand new immune system. And what happens is this pandemic hits not long after he gets his, his bone marrow transplant. And uh, he's had to navigate this, and he's done it pretty well. Uh, we have done, as people know, I've had to isolate myself to an extreme extent to keep him safe, basically is what has happened. But um, um, last month, he finds out that he has COVID. It's, it's, uh, he's now, he was vaccinated, uh, got both, but he had a breakthrough uh, case. Um, without a doubt, he would have died if he did not have vaccine. But uh, on the flip side of that, my mom and stepfather, uh, he had to move in with them. He lives with both of them. Both are vaccinated. Neither of them tested positive for the, uh, for COVID at all and this tells you the benefits of being vaccinated if there's ever a poster child for being vaccinated it's my brother and i think that when you walk through this and you apply it to the nba it gets to a conversation about what do you do with vaccinated players the 98 unvaccinated with uh, well well maybe unvaccinated but there's not many i think there's probably I would say about 40, maybe a little less, maybe 30 um, uh, players who are unvaccinated. Um, you, what do you do with them? Because so now the Nuggets have three of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, one of them's not playing. So, um, but uh, you know, what do you do with them? With the, if, if vaccinated players who are healthy are passing it to each other. And this is the same thing that's going to face the NFL and NHL. If you have uh, vaccinated people passing it to vaccinated people and a large majority of them are uh, asymptomatic, how do you handle this? And that's what something that the league is facing right now. And that's something that nothing could have been accounted for 
until recently. We, you had no idea that you would be facing a situation like an Omicron variant where everyone is vaccinated. So I kind of don't envy the NBA or the NFL or any of these uh, sports leagues for struggling with how to manage this. Uh, the easy solution would be to shut down, but then you're cratering your finances. You know, the Christmas is coming up, Tim. Christmas is coming up. That's the biggest day, regular season day of the, of the NBA. And some of these stars might be in protocol then. Yeah. It's right. I, 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 I don't know. Here's my thing. And, and, you know, I don't think that there's any right, right answer. And, and I hate how polarized our COVID kind of conversations have become because it's not, you know, the answer is not socially distant forever and wear and triple mask and get all the vaccines. And it's not, you know, the opposite. Don't get vaccinated and, you know, talk about how like Bill Gates is tracking you and, you know, talk about how the mask is like a Nazi slave mask. Like neither of those are the answer, mm-hmm. right? So how do you balance this? Like, how do you find it? And I don't, I think that Polis has done a good job with this. He's been a little bit, you know, I think more forward you know aggressive in in reining back some of the mandates than some of the other democratic governors have that i I think there's some some logic in what what polis is talking about which is if you're vaccinated and boosted you know is, is it really the government's job to mandate an action from you for you when when you're not really at risk yourself you're not that much of a risk to others um you know vaccinated people can pass it but it's usually less virulent uh, and and so, uh, you know, there, there's some logic to that. Like, eventually, we have to start to figure out how to how to how to live with this. Unfortunately, because we didn't kill it at the start um, mm-hmm. when when there was potentially an opportunity. Mm-hmm. So so that to me, how do you translate that to the NBA? Like for me, it's like I don't. I mean, should vaccinated and boosted NBA players really be being tested every day? Like what, who are they at risk to? I mean, you know, they all have social responsibilities and personal responsibilities. You know, they shouldn't be probably, you know, doling out soup at the old folks home or something after the game. Right. And I'm sure some of them have like you do, I mean, you know, compromise people in their families and their other responsibilities that people have. But, you know, I feel like the NBA, these sports leagues can be able to move forward, you know, should be able to move forward having an honest conversation. That's like, Hey, if you're vaccinated and boosted, you've done your job, right? If you're choosing not to be, then, uh, you know, then they're going to have to deal with those players in a different way. And, and so, you know, I, I think that the, then the question is, what's the fans, you know, like, do you need a, do there, does there need to be a distance ratio around the court again? You know, how they didn't have the first few rows for a while last year, like the other things that need to go in from there. That seems like the logical solution to me at this point, unless we learn something more about this variant where, where vaccinated people are at risk, you know, beyond a few breakthrough cases among older folks or, you know, compromised folks. Well, that yeah. seems like the way forward to me. Well, it's interesting because I think, I think, well, I was reading a couple of people who, who are no, uh, Howard Foreman is one of them on Twitter. Um, yeah. they're really following this. It seems like what the, that, that wave in South Africa is, on the way down now and it and it's and it's not to get too into amateur and this is armchair epidemiology so uh, (laughs) i'm not i am not going to be able i'm not a doctor so don't follow my advice we literally booked this to discuss the trade (laughs) deadline and the nuggets and here we are 10 minutes in doing armchair epidemiology talking about the south african variant but anyway go ahead yeah yeah, here it is um so we uh I, i i was watching this and it looks like it's peaked and it's coming down and it seems like this variant burns really hot and then kind of has a dramatic fall which 
could open up in a, in a, any sort of myriad, any myriad of discussions that you can have about that sort of thing. Um, and I, what, and what I don't know, and this is where I am stuck with sports leagues, is if you have a preponderance of people vaccinated like the NBA does, I don't know about the NFL. And uh, I think the NHL has most of its players vaccinated. Um, how do you handle vaccinated players passing it to vaccinated players? And that's, that's my, that's, that, that is where I don't know. I mean, if you are, if, if it's been, and we don't know, and that's, I guess that's the problem. You don't know if you're, if you're, if uh, say like you and I were hanging out in a room and one of us had, the Omicron variant and we're, I pass it to you. Is it, is it, is how big a deal is it? And this is where we're coming into risk assessment. And this is where I think our, our balance is out of whack is that we have no longer have the ability to judge risk because we are confused and you get a bunch of sources and different information from 25 different areas. And that part is where I don't know how personally to analyze the situation as someone who's a quasi member of the Nuggets media. I don't know how to assess this risk. I, you know, uh, Tim, I have not been to a single game this year. And uh, I, I just just haven't even thought about going because I was like my own risk is I don't want to do it yet. But there's a lot of other media members and most of the Denver media have gone there and have been perfectly fine. You know, they're judging their risk appropriately that way, I think. So how do we as 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 people who observe the game, look at look at these leagues and and judge them based on the fact that we all have um, various risk issues? Yeah, look, I, I think that the vaccinated player question, you know, it, it's something that they're going to review. This will be a players union thing, right? Mm -hmm. I, if the players union can get comfortable with a different sort of testing regimen among vaccinated players, then I think that's probably what they should do. Uh, if they don't do that, then uh, you know, you're going to run into these situations where there aren't enough people to feel the team. You, I mean, even the Nuggets, like what, what's our what's our roster number down to today with Bull Bull now being back in in uh you know health and safety protocols and yeah. marcus howard hurt i mean the nuggets have like seven players yeah it is it's it okay and i completely forgot about marcus howard <laughs> oh my god uh, not exactly a key part of the rotation when we're coming into the season but uh yeah. you know when you're running out of bodies i mean they're gonna have to pull somebody off the sidelines doing shirts and skin style well you know what this means this may mean the debut of uh lance stevenson uh on we could use Lance. I mean, mm -hmm. the the gold, the Grand Rapids gold. Thank goodness we have a G League team now. Um, their starting lineup of Stauskas and Davon Reed and Lance, <laughs> like their their starting five looks better than our second unit by a considerable margin. It's too bad it's not. This isn't baseball. We can't just call people up from AAA willy nilly because we could really use it. I can't I, I can't think of Stauskas without thinking of Vivek Ranadive pointing at people saying Stauskas, Stauskas, Stauskas. <laughs> Really? <laughs> That's good. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting. But I tell you what, let's kind of move on from that depressing subject to another depressing subject. Um, right. And that is the Denver Nuggets and their current situation. And uh, as you said, prior to us kind of getting a deep into epidemiology was... <laughs> was you're talking about you wanting to celebrate December 15th and 
and really what it means and all this stuff. And really what December 15th means is players that sign contracts uh, in the offseason, new contracts in the offseason, can be traded and not an extension. So Michael Porter Jr. and Aaron Gordon, those guys aren't eligible and nor should they be. Uh, but the these are guys like Jeff Green, um, you know, people who signed specifically contracts in this offseason can be traded. So I've been trying to rack my brain to think, think of something that could help the Nuggets. And I just don't see the contracts there for the Nuggets to make some sort of a deal to boost their team as is right now. Yeah, they're in a bad situation, Jeff. It's kind of depressing. And so hopefully we can we can carve out a little bit of time to just to do the happy Jokic talk. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but the, the roster construction coming to the year, I, I was concerned about it. We were concerned about it on text. Uh, I mean, you know, Tim and the, the, those guys have been great. Uh, they've, you know, I, I love the high upside draft strategy the bulls and the rj hamptons um you know that he's a great job with talent development but coming into this year i I felt like there's a very big vulnerability in that the bottom you know kind of the to the grand rapids gold point like the bottom five people on our roster uh, aren't adding anything i mean you have two you have two midgets in in marcus howard and faku god love them two little people um and uh you know that that creates major matchup issues obviously mm-hmm. uh you've got Blackco, who you know who is kind of who seems like he's on the roster so Jokic can have a friend mm-hmm. um which is okay i guess when you have 14 other good players but when you're in when you're in tough straits uh, you know the buddy roster spot so it starts to make less sense you got bull bull mm-hmm. who seems untradeable um, we can talk about that a little bit. Obviously, he'd be the top of the trade market. Uh, and so, you know, you have this, uh, and then you have all these injuries that happen. So I obviously couldn't have seen that coming. But now that you have all these injuries and COVID protocol issues, you know, as you looked at the trade market on December 15th, you know, they don't have a lot of assets. They don't have a pick to trade uh, because of the Stepien rule. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, the bottom half of their, you know, roster, you didn't trade Bull when he might have had some value as like a, hey, maybe we, maybe there's some hope this guy can turn into a star. You know, um, and I, I, I think that that value, the perspective value is gone. Um, and so you have a lot of untradeable assets at the, at the end of the rotation. You got a lot of guys injured. You can't trade. Dozier might have been a tradable asset um, had he not had got the ACL tear. So that's bad luck. And so you're, and then Faku, you know, there's kind of a sense that if you bring somebody over, you know, from overseas like that, that, you know, they, he chose this team, that it's kind of a dick move to trade him. And I don't know what, his, that his value is going to be that great anyway. So, you know, you, you don't have a lot of options to bring in people. Um, you know, Jermichael, I guess is tradable, but he has a, he has a no trade clause. So he could, he could waive um you know and then you get down to like trading bowl in a second round pick or something it's like what do you what are you going to get for that um not not anything that's going to solve their rotation problems so i mean they've got real needs on the wing um and as with a backup five and so i don't you know anything i mean even getting a bottom of the barrel backup wing or backup five you know, in exchange for bowl in a second or something, uh, you know, uh, the DMVR boys were throwing out Kenrick Williams or, you know, somebody like that. That's just, you know, a six, seven switchable wing, or, you know, <laughs> I wish we could go back to Isaiah Hartenstein, you know, <laughs> you, you just like something like that would help. 
but like that's what you're talking about here there's nothing that's gonna save you know the broader roster construction issues at this deadline i'm going to piss people off right now but i say this um i like it when you get spicy the nuggets uh right now uh, are in atlanta they should just trade some of that riffraff and uh just get gallo back no, I thought you were going to say Cam Reddish. There's been some, some talk that Cam Reddish is um, Atlanta has like an opposite problem of us with like too many people, right? Gallo might be tradable. They've got, um, you know, they, they, you know, sort of where the Nuggets were a couple of years ago, um, where, you know, they'd stockpiled all these assets, but, you know, they didn't really have the core figured out. And, you know, you got Collins and Trey Young, but then you have, you know, just a ton of other people that sort of demand the ball and demand minutes. And it just doesn't feel like it's working right now as a roster. We'll see tonight how, how they look against the, you know, Jokic and the Grand Rapids gold. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, Reddish or Gallo would, I, that doesn't piss me off. Reddish or Gallo would, would make a lot of sense on this team, but I, how do you, what for who, I guess. I and mean, could you get Jamichael? Would he want to go to Atlanta? I mean, that's, Right. And unless you're trading Will Barton, which I don't think makes sense, um, but we could talk about that. But unless you're trading Barton, you know, Jamichael's the only person with a salary. What's he making? Eight million or was it four? Eight, um, eight million. Eight, eight. You know, that's the, that's the only salary number that's significant enough to bring back. I don't have my trade machine up, uh, but to bring back a Gallo or a Reddish. I think uh, it would take the greens, basically. So I think, I think Jeff's making five or six this year and Gallo's making 20 uh right 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 around there so you would you would need you would need probably one more like trade bowl or something like that and but and bowl's only making i think he's only making 500,000 he's not making anything um so i mean but i mean yeah, you can't do that then you have no <laughs> we have no backup bigs right then oh yeah Gallo no. is your backup center Yes. Well, he did play backup center under George, but um, I did. I was just throwing that out there because I, I was just imagining how much better the bench unit would look with Gallo. It would be. It would just look so much better. Everything would work better. And I'm going to just say this right now: the Nuggets miss Plum Dog. They miss Mason Plumley. And I think that is what you're seeing the last two years: is that the Nuggets. Uh, did their best to try to replicate uh, Jokic in the second unit with with Plumlee, and I think they haven't been able to replace that. And their idea to go all small hasn't exactly worked. But of course, they've have a bunch of injuries this year. So really, in essence, uh, despite my silly idea to trade trade for Danilo Gallinari, uh, I think the Nuggets are kind of stuck. I, ju- I just don't think they they have a lot of wiggle room right. here. I They're- want to uh, I want to get to Plum Dog here in a second. I do just want to throw out there: Reddish is only making five million. So mm-hmm. you could trade one of the greens, and but then again, you don't have assets. What? So one of the greens and bowl and a second, like they're not going to want to do that. Maybe a pick swap or something. Um, I guess yeah. you could do a swap, uh, uh, but I, still, that that doesn't really seem reasonable. But uh, you know, somebody like that would at yeah. least, you know, he's six eight on the wing, um, uh, can put some points up. The other option, um, well, I, I want to get. I have one more crazy um, suggestion for trades. Um, right. That's probably not going to happen. But I do want to on the plum dog point. I don't understand. Like when Plumlee was here, you know, you you, you never appreciate what you have till it's gone. Mm-hmm. I, I like he drove me crazy. Like the amount of minutes that he got drove me crazy. The Twin Towers lineup struck, brought, you know, made me crazy. 
And, you know, then he gets traded and you bring in Hartenstein, which made a lot more sense to me. You have a backup to a superstar. So you're only playing about eight minutes, you know, um, and, and then Hartenstein gets jumped for JaVale. And now here we are with no backup center. And it's like, what, what happened with Malone that he went from, you know, being in love with Plum Dog and playing Plum Dog huge minutes <laughs> so much. So he wanted Plum Dog to get so many minutes, he would go at the Twin Towers lineup to then the next year, like refusing to play a backup five and leaving us in this situation where we don't have it. Like, I, I don't understand how that happened. I don't, I, I couldn't explain it either. I mean, the only thing I could say about Malone is that he, he, once you earn his trust, he will ride or die with you, right? He, that, he, that's going to be a, that's going to be a thing. He's going to uh, be Tory. If Tory Craig was still on this roster, Tory Craig would be playing 45 minutes a night, right? I mean, that's exactly what would be happening right now. Um, he has his guys. He has his guys that he trusts and he didn't trust Hartenstein or JaVale. I mean, that really is, that really is the, uh, the, the crux of the issue is that he hasn't trusted those two and it's hard to make a coach trust someone, you know, he's just, that, that that's a, just a function of, of, of play and practice and all that stuff. And quite frankly, he, he didn't trust Artenstein or he didn't, he didn't trust, uh, um, uh, JaVale. So, I mean, it's just like, I, I don't know what, uh, I don't know what the Nuggets can do as far as that goes, but I think they're at the point now where it doesn't matter if you trust them or not. Just, they just have to have a, in my view, they have to have a backup center. They did it's that non-negotiable at this point. They have to have one, but I know, I mean, I don't know what's out there, and that's that's the really what the Nuggets got to find between now and the trade deadline. Yeah, and the other trade thing that is, you know, we're doing a trade spectacular, so you might you might as well get crazy with it. Um, <laughs> You'd hate to trade Mr. Nugget, but Monte is tradable and he has a, he has a sell and you know, he's on a friendly deal. So you don't want to trade, trade him necessarily. The problem with that is then you're, then you're stuck with Faku. And this is just how much of a hard, you know, rock and a hard place they're in with the roster construction, with the backside, with the back part of the roster, because, you know, in a different environment, right. If you had, if Jamal was healthy, you know, but even if Jamal's healthy, then, then you have Faku as your other point guard right like, even if you had like a bottom of the barrel six foot three you know whatever tyus jones or something sitting back there you could feel like okay well if, when jamal comes back this this might work right but but w- without you know anybody else to be able to plug in it doesn't you know that doesn't really seem like an option right mm-hmm. like you have i mean i'm not, not 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 that i'm you know, I love Monte. Now that I'm trying to get run him out of town, but it's just like when you look at the roster and think about assets, you know, it seems like Monte in a different environment would be the type of person that might, you know, be tradable to get somebody that like fits more of a position of need. But like they're all positions of need except starting center right now. Right, and I, I I'm, <laughs> I'm one of those fools <laughs> who thinks that Ben Simmons would work on this roster, but the Nuggets don't have the assets for that. But I'm I, not. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm with you. I'm a, yeah. I'm, I'm a fool. I mean, you know, I think that there's reasonable reason to think that MPJ for Simmons was something that they were thinking about. You know, you remember all the buzz in the off season mm-hmm. Simmons was spotted in veil, you know, <laughs> or where was he Simmons, you know, Simmons was doing awesome opera in Aspen. And, you know, so they saw him in a hangar and an FBO. Um, and I, you know, I think there was some thought that MPJ for Simmons, I, you know, I don't know what the MPJ's value at this point is, is hard to, hard to measure. Um, but, uh, 
I, I agree with that. Um, the problem is, you know, with, with Aaron Gordon, it's a little bit duplicative mm-hmm. um, of having two kind of wings that can't, um, you know, that aren't particularly proficient from three in Aaron's case and like literally can't shoot in Ben Simmons's case. But, um, you know, I mean, you've at this point you have Jamal and Gordon and Jokic. So it's like, who can fit, who fits around those guys, mm-hmm. you know, the best. And like, clearly, you know, what they need is more length and, and more shooting, uh, you know, is that, is there anybody that fits that bill with the assets that they have? I just don't think so. Right. I, I mean, I think that, that you can just get sort of a down market version of that, you know, which is how you get into the, you know, into Kendrick, Kendrick Williams territory. Well, but, and, um, and, 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 and look at it this way, the nuggets, if they, they're asked quote unquote assets uh, that they, they can trade, they're not even eligible to be traded till this next off season. So if any sort of moves are going to be made, um, sort of sort of altering moves for the team, I would suggest that it probably would be this off season and not not during the year. But, Do you want to fantasize with me for a second? Can we sure. play? Can we play like NBA Two K Twenty One? Bill Simmons like crazy yes. trade? You yeah. know, fantasy fantasy for a second. Let's do it. Okay. New Orleans. You know where I'm going with this? New Orleans re-signed Zion to the full Supermax. Ooh. So they're sitting on the same Supermax <laughs> injured player um, yeah. anvil that we're sitting on, and we just trade. Just a straight trade. It's like, you guys take your chances with MBJ's back. We'll take our chances with Zion's, with Zion's eating. Oh, wow. Man, that would be interesting because, <laughs> because both of them have – uh, injuries that are big red flags for the types of players they are <laughs> so that would be like trading that for yeah that would be interesting i mean it it, it interesting thing about you, you suggesting that was uh trade deadline 2000 well, last year um i think there was a moment where the pelicans would have definitely wanted um michael porter jr um maybe not the trade deadline last year but the year before uh during the during the suspended season um they would have definitely um wanted the nuggets to trade for uh get include michael porter jr in that but that would have been about drew holiday who would look fantastic on this roster by the way uh (laughs) but there was a, a moment in time where that was a uh, something that was floated out there in the NBA universe as as something that the Pelicans were wanting. Um, now, I mean, I don't know. It would take it would take Zion signing a, a contract, and I don't know what's up with him other than other than he's eating and not getting better. That's the only thing I can say. Yeah. Right <laughs> he's only played. He hasn't even played a full season. I wonder who's played more games between MTJ and Zion. Zion has played, I think, eighty games total. Eighty-four, I think. Yeah. How many? How many games has Michael Porter Jr. played? Uh, right around that. I think about ninety. Man. And that's not yeah, including playoffs. You, two. Yeah, that looks like yeah, hundred and hundred ten. So Porter's no. got him by about half a season. Um. Uh. Yeah. I mean, two damaged assets. I don't know. Dream with me here. I. I don't think that's gonna happen. I think the reality is that they. Are going to do everything possible to dump ball and a second round pick for some, you know, bottom basement 
you know, backup five or backup wing. And that, oh, yeah. that'll probably be the end of the show. I well, think. I mean, I do think or, really- or the, and that might not even happen because both, you know, they might not find anybody willing to do that. We'll say like, if we're talking Bill Simmons, you know, uh, crazy trade territory, we need to include the Celtics and we need to mention that Danny Ainge really wanted a player that no one had ever thought the Celtics were ever interested in. So, uh, <laughs> Like we we'd have to include yeah let's see saying Simmons says yeah you know you know they really wanted uh, De'Aaron Fox uh, or something like that um, but speaking of that you know that that just to, to, just to throwing it out there the the Sacramento Kings have a lot of tradable pieces on their roster and I always look to them to see like a Harrison Harrison Barnes or a uh, you know uh, Buddy Heald. Those two, I always kind of look to as like maybe a potential uh, for something in the future. But as of as of now, as of like during this season, I just don't think the Nuggets have what it takes to do it right now. Okay, I've got a crazy Kings one for you. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. Um, is he, is he might, might be currently injured. Um, only 13 games played for this former star um, on, a, on an $8 million deal. So we could put together the money for him. Could be a backup center. Are you ready? Are you with me? I'm Marvin with you. Bagley Jr. Oh, yeah. I was just thinking about that. I, was just gonna, I knew you were going to say Bagley. Former... Marvin Bagley Jr. I mean, <laughs> he'd be better than our current backup five, right? Former number three pick, Marvin Bagley. Uh... <laughs> I mean, he would, have, he would have to be better than our former, uh, than our current backup five. That is a, that is a gettable deal. Yeah. uh contract what is where is, is he injured no he was uh is he just getting he's only played 13 games this year <laughs> is, he, is he getting like clean D, dnp'd yeah by, uh, <laughs> by was he getting dnp'd by luke What's yeah the the, the organization decided to dmp him uh that was the that was an organizational decision from <laughs> from what i understand which is interesting for the third pick in the draft like the way to go sacramento but, uh, <laughs> okay, well, I don't know. Is Jamichael willing to go to Sacramento? Nice weather in Sacramento. Uh, That's know, I don't interesting. Know. Is is by the way, is Jamichael still injured? Is he still? Is he still out? Uh, I don't. I, I've not I'm, seen the uh, the injury report for tonight's game. But I'm have to. I'm gonna have to look that up while while we talk. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I my thing is like there's a lot of different ways you can go with, with potential trades and all that stuff, but the nuggets have very specific needs in areas where injured players reside. And it, the nuggets have to make a decision whether they just bring it in pragmatism to uh, um, into the situation. Oh, uh, speaking of uh, being, having an update uh, just got this from the nuggets. Just now, Nuggets guard Marcus Howard suffered a sprained left knee in the fourth quarter of Denver's home game Wednesday night. He'll be reevaluated in six weeks. So that means he's going to be out for the foreseeable future as a to use a Michael Malone uh, parlance. Great. <laughs> so well, we got our one Marcus Howard game. We got our Marcus Howard moment the other night, you know, and we'll always have that no matter what happens from here on out. Uh, he was en fuego. That was I. I, I just, one of my buddies is really big on Marcus Howard coming into the Nuggets, you know, and said that he just dominated um, in college. He was a Big East. Uh, he's a Georgetown guy, so uh, you know he got to watch Marcus Howard just, you know, rain threes on them for for uh, a few years while he was at Marquette. But boy, 
Uh, it just doesn't translate. Well, Marcus Howard is comes from the Steph Curry generation, so he's he's yeah. in that mold. Um, uh, I, I, but he really helped that one game because the Nuggets weren't hitting anything, and he came in and was hitting stuff. Uh, I mean, in the games prior, and then he comes in and the Nuggets he elevated the bench. Um, so I mean, just another thing that's gets gone down. I just it, it's the, at, at this point it's biblical what's happening <laughs> happening to the nuggets this year so I, at this point i'm like you know whatever whatever because i got to credit you for putting me on a less cynical path so oh really that yes. I, I very rarely hear that from people i was called rain cloud on my political campaign so please what did i what did i do to no, no, get you, you on the on the straight and narrow well first of all tim you can't my, my nickname when i was a teenager was eeyore so okay. you can't. Well, I was the rain cloud on top of your eel, just <laughs> yeah, sort so of, you know, brutal. keeping you wet. This is, this is, oh my God, this is why we get along so well. Um, but I, we were talking a couple of weeks ago and I was just like being my usual cynical self about the nuggets. And you said, uh, let me have my joy. And I went like, you know what? I need to stop being such a, a, a fucking Eeyore is what I need to do. Because <laughs> that's just that's just like, no one wants to hear that shit. So I've made a point since that point to like be maybe not more positive, but not be such a rain on everyone's parade guy. You know, it's hard to do the long-term uh, nugget stuff because it was just like the moment, the excitement of the moment, you know, of that Clippers game where everything was clicking last year with the big four. And you're like, man, these guys, uh, you know, this could be a championship team to where they're at now has been painful. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, my point in that about taking my joy away is that the Nuggets, you know, thank the Lord for League Pass. You know, we've been going through our COVID times as we discussed and, you know, just having the, that, that two or three nights a week and just being able to watch Jokic uh, has, has really been like so pleasant and such a nice escape, which is, which is what sports is about, right? It's about camaraderie and, you know, kind of, a, and, and it's been the frustrating part about sports recently, about how it's been a reminder of all the things that are bothering us and the rest of society, rather than, you know, this, this entertainment this escape, which is, which it is as, as um, in its purest form. And, and Jokic has just been that I, I, I the day that MPJ went down or they announced it, I was, I was messaging my brother and I said, man, this season is just a slog. Like it's just going to be a slog. It's not that fun. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, all our guys are hurt. Like besides bones, there's not a lot of fresh blood to get excited about. It's not like a bad young team, but you know, you're excited to watch the guys grow. It, it just felt like it was going to be one of those slog transition years. And, and, and the night I sent that to him was um, I believe the um, Jokic and um, uh, the heat game. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know where Jokic, where Jokic gets kicked kicked out for steamrolling Morris brother B, and um and you know what a fun game that was Jokic carrying the team Jokic then you know sort of letting out this passion, um you know this energy, uh that was so entertaining and and then this run through the road trip you know kind of beginning at that game through well, I guess I guess through the T Wolves game the other night which wasn't very fun. Um, he has just been unbelievable. Um, you know, a level of dominance that, you know, I can't, you know, can't quite remember like at a sustained level for somebody that I'm rooting for watching game in game out. I and mean, obviously, you know, you have your Jordans and your LeBrons, but mm -hmm. I, I didn't, um, 
you know, I, I didn't get to have this really with the Broncos. I moved to Denver late in the LA career. So I got to enjoy the two Super Bowls and, and, you know, I was young in Denver, but I had, I had not had, you know, somebody that I was able to follow, you know, they came to my team. I watched them grow, watch them succeed. And what Jokic has been doing has just been video game esque. You know, you can just sense with the, the, the ball is going to go in you know, when he shoots it, you can just sense with his form, you know, you know, when you see him and you see somebody open on the other side of the court, even if he isn't looking that way, you know, Jokic sees it too, mm-hmm. and he's about to hit him. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's really been just so pleasant. And, uh, and, and, I, and I've kind of tried to, you know, really appreciate that and focus on on that little gift that we've had um, during this season that otherwise might have been pretty, pretty painful. Well, it, it, it's interesting. And, I, and I'm glad you brought up the Jokic thing because I got a little thing that I want us to do here at the, uh, at this segment of the podcast, but I, okay. I, I, Jokic, it's interesting because I've watched the Nuggets since 1987. Okay. That was, I was nine years old when I started watching the Nuggets in earnest. Uh, that was their 54 win season, Alex English. That was basically the tail end of his, his prime. I wasn't even prime. That was the tail end of English period at that point in time. And it was, it was a, you know, something that set me on my journey for watching the Nuggets for the rest. The, the Nuggets have always been my number one team. The Broncos have been number two. I was spoiled in a sense that I watched John Elway throughout his entire career with Denver. You know? um, but Jokic is the first player in Nuggets history that I can look at and say, he's the guy that gives you a chance whenever he plays. Um, English was a, probably a close second to that, but it, 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 Jokic is the guy who, if he's on the court, He's going to give you that chance because he's that good. And to be honest with you, because of this franchise's history, we haven't had an opportunity for that. And it's, it's been revelatory to experience this. I, I don't, I don't, and it's, and it's hard for me to translate that to people. And, and, and you're in the same boat as me had going through a franchise that has had the checkered history as the Denver Nuggets have, especially having a favorite basketball team, how they can go from, you know, just kind of the wilderness of the post-mellow era to the, a second round transformative player and which don't come around that often. And I, I don't think I fully processed it. I'll be honest with you. I don't think I fully processed the fact that we have that quote unquote, that guy on the roster. And it's a, it's revelatory because uh, I think that when I th- compare Elway to, or, excuse me, uh, Jokic to someone, I compare him to John Elway. That's the person I compare him to, and not yeah. anyone in Nuggets history. Yeah, no, I know. I I I really started to appreciate that during these playoff runs, um, uh, you know, in the bubble, and then you know, uh, I guess maybe not run, but the 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 first round win last year with Jokic, uh, and but but it really clicked for me this year. You know just how how marvelous it is you know to be able to think about this over the long term of his career you know now we're in middle age jeff so like i, I feel like i also have a little bit more of a historical <laughs> appreciation it's just like man i i was 35 when this all started you know like i'm gonna be 50 right when it's over <laughs> right like you know knock on wood like you know presuming nothing <laughs> happens like that like, it has that potential to have you know an entire epoch of my life you know will be Nikola Jokic 
And I, I just, I didn't get that with LA, like the other, you know, kids, like my friends, my peers who grew up in Denver, um, you know, I moved to middle school and so really liked LA and, and loved him, but you know, he already was, you know, like the, the whole LA comeback thing. I was, I was living in St. You know, Louis then. I didn't, I didn't really, you know, get that. Um, you know, I caught the tail end of, of his prime and then, you know, sort of the end of, of his career, which was great. But I, I do think that Jokic, that that is, that is the comp Now he's going to have to put it together and win. And, you know, I think that, you know, who knows what happened at the NBA, somebody, you know, so another there's, it's possible that he could get pulled away. It doesn't seem like the kind of guy that's going to do that, but you do never know um uh but uh, you know that that possibility is there and you know so I, I think that is so cool just sort of the length of time uh that we're gonna have him and be able to watch you know his his play but also just the nature he's just so different you know and um and and i, I this really clicked with me when i went to the bucks finals game my buddy runs comms for the bucks and so i these great seats for game three of the finals um uh, was right behind the sun's bench was getting in devin booker's grill a little bit pretending to be a bucks fan um and and, I, and i'm watching these guys and i feel like after spending a year and a half of not going to games and just watching Jokic three nights a week like i forgot that like not everybody has nba 2k 21 level precision on everything that they do <laughs> and like Jokic is just like walking up the floor and flip-flops you know like and 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 is and at this at the high level speed that these athletes are moving at uh, he is he is pure precision in every I, almost every action 97 percent percent of his actions during a game you know he gets a little tired he gets a little frustrated from time to time but but 97 percent you know he's doing exactly what your 2k21 dude would do if you're pressing the right buttons mm-hmm. and um and and i and it's really i mean it you know it, it's artistic you know like it feels like almost like la is a comp but also you know, seeing a great band at its prime or a great artist at its prime, right. that, that what, what Jokic just does are phenomenal. And I, I just, um, he, the, this sort of moment, this, um, uh, you know, Jokic, Jok, Jokmas anniversary, like it reminded me, because to your point about being a long-term Nuggets fan, you know, I came, so I came like Jalen Rose era in the 90s, 90s so I was a little later than you. Um, but you live through mellow and then you have those first round losses every year and that team starts to, you know, it just the joy gets sucked out of that team at the end of the mellow era. Mm. And then, you know, I'm getting busy in my career and we go into the post mellow era and I did love that 12, 13 team, but then you get into 14 and they're, they win 30 games and 15, you know, 15, they win 30 games. And so I had, you know, I, I just had stepped away from like watching the Nuggets every possible minute and, you know, was monitoring it more as a normal fan rather than as obsessive fan. And, you know, that was when my brother said to me, he's like, no, no, like this season in the 16th season, he's like, this guy, that's the Jokic that's coming off the bench. Like you just have to, like, you got to get your NBA league pass and watch just for like the 18 minutes that Jokic is playing. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. like, right at the time when I did that around Christmas that year, he got me that as my present. It's like, oh wait, he's starting now. And that I just remember that spring, you know, I was depressed about Trump winning. I was depressed about life, and I was and I, but I was like, but three nights a week, I get Nikola Jokic starting, and and um and and so that like that little five year arc from then to now has really been, I you know, I think better than any of my other sports half decade um, uh, jaunts of any of my other teams, even though they haven't they haven't won it yet. Well, I I, I you 
you bring up and that's something that the dnvr podcast guys were talking about the, the five-year stretch i'm partial to 2008 to 2013 because as frustrating as it was it was it was it was also really interesting and i don't think we've ever seen a stretch of basketball like that in nuggets history um but this stretch from 2016 uh, unfortunately for me came when i had just gone through the brian shaw years and the first year of malone and everything was just chaotic around the team and i think what i'm trying to do now and looking back on it is appreciate it more and is appreciate what i've witnessed more than i have and because i i was greatly influenced by this just the the fucking chaos that was happening when George Carl was fired all the way through the first year of Malone. And I think that unfortunately jaded my, a lot of my perspective on the early years of Jokic when I should have been a little more appreciative. And I think and quite, quite frankly, uh, looking back on it now, um, December 15th, uh, 2016 was a great moment. It was a great moment in franchise history and it was a transformative moment in franchise history. And I think that, uh, there will be uh, probably uh, ringer documentaries done on Jokic coming in in 2016 and how it affected the franchise. And I think we all need to sit back and appreciate just how special it has been to watch him in action. I've been covering the Nuggets as, as someone who's been writing since 2008 or excuse me, 2009. I, I, I have seen every iteration that you could possibly see of this Nuggets team. And this is special. This is, this is what the only thing I could, I could term as even with a struggling year this year and the injuries, it's still special. And I think everyone who's listening to the, to this and has been watching the Nuggets when they can, um, it means something and hold on to these years because players like Jokic don't come around that often. Um, I, I'm with you on all that. I want to step back and I, I need to object a little bit to your uh, your 10 year or your five year run um, window, because uh, you could have maybe sold me on <laughs> 03 to 08. Now, I, I really did like the 13 team. Um, and but like Mello arriving through that losing Western Conference chance, so I guess it'd be 04 to 09 to the losing Western Conference Western Conference Finals against the Lakers, like that was a fun run. But some of those years in between then and when it really started clicking for the Gallo squad, you know, when when Melo demanded the trade, I don't know, maybe maybe I'm projecting my own malaise onto the team, and you were able to enjoy it from a different perspective than I had. But like uh, some of those years were, were I, I, I would I would eliminate that from the peak window because of those in between years between nine and thirteen. That would uh, the the 2012 series against the Lakers was one of my favorite Sun Nugget series I ever watched, even though the, the the outcome was terrible. But when they the that was the Javale McGee game. And game five, uh, that was the, you know, Ty Lawson going nuts in game six. Uh, I mean, there, that, that was the closest I've seen to a, that atmosphere that, we, that I saw in the, in the 94. Um, that's the closest I've seen to that, even really? uh, including the, the Western Conference Finals run. That, that building at Pepsi Center at the time was as loud as I've ever, I've, I've ever heard it. It was insane. Game six, it was nuts. 
absolutely nuts. Uh, and I tell you what, if the NBA didn't plan on Ron Artest coming back, or excuse me, Metal World <laughs> Peace coming back for game seven, uh, the Nuggets would have won that series. I'm convinced of that, but whatever. Huh. It's ancient history. <laughs> yeah, I don't I felt like I think I maybe didn't have the hope that year. You know, mm-hmm. like the roster just wasn't there. Yeah. I hear you. It was a fun series. Um, the Jail, was Rudy I remember the JaVale McGee yeah. game, but like that roster was not, it wasn't, it wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. Like that, that was like Ty Lawson and Aaron Aflalo and JaVale McGee were not going to win the NBA championship. <laughs> so I don't know. I felt like those earlier years with Iverson and Kenyon and, and Bill, you know, Bill Ups, I mean, obviously they didn't all overlap, but like those sorts of those playoff, even though they were all first round losses too, except for, um, except for the year they went to the Western Conference finals. Um, you know, I felt like there was this hope. And, you know, in sports, you need the hope and t- the pain of defeat. And uh, maybe it didn't, f- that didn't feel quite as, uh, quite as acute uh, on the, on the JaVale Aflalo year. Uh, so I, I think if you're to talk about my absolute favorite year, it's, it, I don't think anything until the Nuggets win a championship, nothing will replace 94 for me, but that's because I was a 16 year old. And I think that it's, it's just, it, it hit that magical nexus of teenager plus something you've never seen before happening. And I, yeah. it's, it's, it's hard for me to translate to people how weird that year was and how the Nuggets almost beat the Jazz in the second round by coming back from 03 down. Uh, it's just, there's, it was just so weird. And Jordan wasn't there. Everyone thought they had a chance, you know. Uh, <laughs> but uh, as far as this, I think the Nuggets winning a championship or, uh, and would supplant that for me, probably. And I, I hate that that's what it takes for just my own brain. Yeah. But that, that, that 94 years just so, had such an imprint on me that it's hard for me to describe, but I'm thinking there's a lot of kids right now, Tim, that are watching Nuggets go up and they will point immediately to the bubble run. They will point immediately to the bubble run and say that that is absolute. That is their 1994. That was just like, wow. I never got to see, I mean, two, three, one deficits, all that stuff going to Western conference finals. And the bell run was amazing. Yeah. This um, is, this is get, making me. So now rain clouds coming back. This is making me a little sad though, because like, like, had you said that, had you made that statement about how it will surpass for me when the Nuggets win? Had you made that statement to me, you know, this time last year or even more like right after the Gordon trade last year, I'd have been like, that might be happening. That's imminent, Jeff. Like, this is coming. And now with the MPJ back thing hanging over us and a max contract, I, you know, I, I don't know. I'm still my, my, my confidence that that is something that is going to happen during the Jokic era is, is flagging a little bit. Well, that's, that's something that we're going to have to grapple with. And I, 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 I still have faith, believe it or not. I have a, still have faith that they're ain't going to be able to do it. Um, uh, that Clippers game is what I hold on to. <laughs> we're holding on to this one Clippers game for dear life. It's like uh, people who are fans of like the Lakers and Bulls are like, what are you guys talking about? It's like, there was this regular season Clippers game. People had you been there? Had you watched it? Everything was clicking. Uh, all the signs were there. How you don't, you people don't know. If you didn't see it, you don't know. If you didn't uh, see it, you don't know. Um, okay. Now I, I, this is what I wanted to get into. And this is something okay. I'm, just, I'm just springing on you, but I, 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 I have been wanting to get this from you for a while. And first of all, other than you being perplexed at Patrick Ewing being one of my favorite players, um, <laughs> which I is, am very perplexed by that, <laughs> which is something that is for another a different podcast altogether. Um, 
Can you list to me your top three favorite Nuggets players of all time? Well, after, I mean, do, are we including, does Jokic get included? I mean, after this big ode to Jokic, I don't have any. Um, oh, yeah. I, I, yeah, I can't not have him be number one. I mean, uh, Jokic is is number one um, uh, uh, for all the reasons that I said. And uh, he's brought so much joy into my life. Like Nicole Jokic has, has probably brought me more joy than any human that I've never met in my life, I guess maybe close Joe Burrow might be a close second, but, um, uh, he has, uh, or, and all the Joes, uh, Joe Biden also maybe for deeding Donald Trump. Um, that's my, that's my Mount Rushmore of people who've brought the most joy to me who I've never met. Um, uh, the, ooh, I need a fourth for that Mount Rushmore, probably, uh, probably either maybe F Scott Fitzgerald to be the fourth person on that Mount Rushmore. Okay. But, uh, top three nuggets. It's, it's, uh, the third one is going to be the biggest question. Jokic is number one. Jalen is number two. For me, Jalen, this was such so, you know, to your point about you being 16 um, for that 94 run, um, I was 12. And so I just moved here. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that was my first Nuggets year, um, really. So they drafted Jalen in what, 94? They drafted Mm -hmm. him that summer after that. Yep. You know, so the nut, so I had been big Fab Five guy. I was in middle school, wore the black socks knee high, um, (laughs) you know, in honor of them. I was always Jalen guy in the fab five i just liked his vibe better than i liked weber's and juan's and so you know as a kid yeah you know that they that fab five team really you know left a mark and then i moved to denver and then jalen gets drafted by the nuggets um so you know that was huge for me um and uh i will you know always have a soft spot for for jalen and i feel like he it's un- I feel like it's unfortunate. I don't feel like he, he was maximized for what he could have been mm-hmm. um, on the Nuggets. Um, and, you know, I, I liked it. He ended up having a nice little run with the Pacers, et cetera. Um, so Jalen is number two. And, I, you know, I think that there has to be kind of a big drop from there um, to my number three. Like those two really stand out among the rest. And I want to say... I'm trying, I'm trying to think if I can like come up with a deep cut from like the 95 team, somebody that I really, really liked. Um, but boy, I, I mean, I, I just, I think it has to be Chauncey, you know, he's okay. a Denver, Denver kid comes back. Um, really, I think kind of solid his return really solidified for me my you know nuggets fandom um at, at a time you know when like the nba was you know uh, you know it was pretend i, I might have been a free agent um so chauncey's return you know that run that he and mellow had um he didn't he didn't stab us in the back like mellow uh, i've got so i've got to say that i got i gotta stick with uh stick with chauncey is number three well, uh, I, that's a good list, uh, and it's, a, it's, it's kind of similar in a different way to mine. Uh, everyone who knows me or has listened to this podcast knows who my number one is. Um, I, I talk about why, and in fact... Ryan uh, Bowen. <laughs> Ryan's not my favorite, but I, he's my favorite <laughs> assistant coach. Um, <laughs> um, uh, but Robert uh, Pack. Yeah, hey, Robert Peck, that dunk in game three of the that 94 dunk. was that that dunk was I was incredible. there. Oh my god. Incredible. Oh my god. Anyway, um the it's Lafonso Ellis, number one by far, leaps and bounds over everyone. It's Lafonso Ellis. Uh and the for people I, I try to try to tell people that Lafonso's first two years, he was a different, he was just he he was the heart and soul of that team. 
kind of like Bobby Jones was the heart and soul of the seventies nuggets team. Um, that's the same, very same thing. Fonzo Ellis. He was just the ray of sunshine that permeated that entire squad. And, um, he just was exciting. His dunks were great. He would dunk the ball and hang on the rim with one hand and spin around. And we never saw that in, in, in Denver. The Nuggets never had anyone who dunked the ball uh, in throughout the entire 80s. Alex English, <laughs> Alex English never dunked the ball. He, it would, it would, he said it hurt his hand. So it's like... <laughs> Thompson. Thompson. Well, well yeah, but tell yeah, but Tom, by the time I was watching the Nuggets, I... <laughs> Right. He 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 was long into severe severe drug problems, and I I I think that that but that it was the it was Fonz just Fonz just was just so important to me. Number two was the I guy. Like number two was the guy that was drafted ostensibly to replace him, you know, by Bernie Dick Bickerstaff, and it was uh, Antonio McDice, or as we called him here in Denver, McNice um he was the dice would probably be in my top five too mm -hmm. i i i was this was i, I don't i think that non-denver folks cannot appreciate the, like level of hope that was provided by mcdice uh in the in the in the dark late 90s years oh my god he was he was could leap out of the building he was uh he had a turnaround baseline j that was sweet just I, he came back from Phoenix in '98 with uh, or '99 with that, with that, just just that turnaround thing. He's like, where does this come from? Oh my god! And he was saddled, unfortunately, with some mismatched Nuggets rosters. But he, he, McD McDice until 2001 was a next level great power forward who would absolutely thrive, I think, in the modern basketball. I think he would thrive. He's he would he'd be a lot like Amari Stoudemire. Um, I think that that's a good comparison with uh, McDice. Um, although I, Antonio was much more athletic, much more athletic than Stoudemire. Um, and number three for me, um, as far as favorite players go, is I always had a soft spot for this guy, and I. I'm trying to trying to give people an idea of, and this is going to be completely random. Um, the last year, the, the first conscious basketball memory I ever had was the Western Conference Finals in 1985. And it was game five when the Nuggets got blown out by like 50. And it's because half the roster was injured and Kareem broke uh, English's hand. And... The first thing I really remember as a Nuggets fan, or this is really pre-Nuggets fan, but I remember watching that, was Dan Issel hitting a three-point shot to end his career. And it was mostly through his time as a coach that I just started loving him because he was on my favorite team. Yeah. And I'm going to ignore his time as a GM and coach <laughs> at the second step. And I'm just going to focus on right up until 95. Uh, not only was he a Hall of Famer player, but that his what he did for that team up till 1995 was amazing. And uh, the first stretch five in, I would say, in NBA history was Dan Issel. And he just, uh, there's some reason I just responded to his game. And, but I also responded to him as a coach. And when I got to finally meet him and interview him, it was an absolute thrill. Same thing with Lafonso Ellis. 
it was just, it was just an absolute joy, absolute joy for me to do. And so that's, that's my top three. It's a weird list, but it's, a, it's my top three. That's a good list. I mean, uh, Jokic is going to have to displace somebody. So, so Issel might have to hop McDice or, uh, or, or Dan's getting the ax. And so maybe, uh, maybe when you redo this list in five years, she'll be like, well, I've, Upon reconsideration, I, I do think to be fair to Dan Essel, you do have to include his career as a general manager, which knocks him down to fourth because that was some ugly shit. Well, look, we um, all would have given not as ugly as hey, I have a question. I wouldn't been meaning to ask you about this and I haven't asked online. So I have as uh, my Twitter. Um, you didn't list my Twitter as another p- p- thing people might know me from. Oh I tweet God. way too much. I have an addiction. Um, and um, uh, I, I have become uh, you know, quasi Twitter pals with a with the king uh, Twitter celebrity Rex Chapman, former NBA player, mm-hmm. and I had forgotten or never knew or just didn't remember that Rex had what one year as an executive for the Nuggets? Four years. Four years? Yeah. What was it? What was his? What was his role there? Was he? Did he overlap with? Yeah, it, it was him and uh, uh, Mark Workentine and okay. uh, Brett Barrett. And they they had a triumvirate um, uh, front office situation. And Bear never had an official role, but he was basically. So this was after Issel? Was this what after yeah, Issel got, this the, is after got the axe? It's after Kiki. After Kiki. Got it. So it's 2006 to 2010 was uh, Rex Chapman's thing. Rex Chapman was primarily responsible for bringing Allen Iverson here. Really? And Mark Workentine was primarily responsible for bringing Chauncey Billiger. Hmm. So, and so, but anyway, yeah, that, that, that's when, that's when Rex. How did that, for, then how did that fall apart in 2010? Uh, Stan just didn't renew their contracts. Um, and I, the interesting Classic. thing, the interesting thing about that, you know. Because that was pretty big, that was a pretty good run, actually. Front, it was. Front office. And that was the year after, that was the year after they lost to the, the offseason after they lost to Utah in the first right. round. Mm-hmm. And um, I was covering the team then. Uh, the interesting thing about this was, this was came on the heels of Stan taking control of the St. Louis Rams. And mm-hmm. he had to give up uh, control of the Nuggets during a, a process that was there so that this is when josh Cronkey was beginning to take over the team 2010 got it so i think josh wanted his own voice in there and he wanted his own person um so that kind of contributed to it it was successful uh but there was a lot of you know it was not exactly highly functional um <laughs> Triumphants tend to have a problem. I don't, you know, you don't have to be <laughs> an expert historian to know this, but just as a general matter, triumvirates don't 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 tend to have staying power, right? And so Rex, uh, Rex was. I mean, I, I never had any dealing with Rex. I, I met Mark Workentine, but um, you know, he. It was an interesting situation. I don't. I, I don't know how they managed that. I, it was. It, it can't seem. Can't have been easy to have three people running a basketball operation and having three big egos like that. I yeah. just, I don't know how, I don't know how that would have worked, but yeah. Yeah. For the first four years. And that was a successful run. I mean, 2006 to 2010, I mean, yeah, really. a couple of 50 big years. moves, right? I mean, you know, to bring in Iverson, I, I mean, that was, say what you want about him was such a jolt for the franchise, um, you know, which was, I, I think needed then. Um, and then Billups, obviously was the move that that got him you know on the cusp of of the nba finals if it wasn't for anthony carter well i think the alan arverson was i mean we had well, yes exactly um we had the uh anniversary of the slap and retreat 
um, uh, yesterday or day before. So the brawl in New York between that was started with J.R. Smith uh, and who was the guy that on New York? I forget. Anyway, that Isaiah oh, that Thomas, little slap fight. They had the slap and retreat. That's what I always. That's what I always called that. And um, but the reason Melo was, or uh, uh, excuse me, that uh, Iverson was brought in was because the Melo was in a fifteen-game suspension. <laughs> so they needed someone, and uh, they got a big someone in Iverson, and that was an interesting two years. How, where would you put Iverson in the Pantheon, Tim? I mean, pretty high, actually. Mm. You know, because you, you just have to, you know, re- remember the context. And we drafted Mello, so there's some excitement, right? But he's fresh. He's a, not a freshman. He's not a, not a rookie, but he'd been, what, two years? There are three years but when Iverson comes in. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, still, he's still young, right? And so they hadn't had, I don't think, before Iverson, like a 50, you know, a, a team that felt, you know, like th- they were really a potential contender. Right. right. Um, the, the, you know, there was some excitement about mellow, you know, after the doldrums of the Shaw years, you know, you get, you get the mellow and then Iverson comes in and, you know, you end up losing the first round all those years. But I think that I, I remember there just being like an excitement about the nuggets, um, you know, with him coming to town that I wasn't there before, right. you know, like there was like a wave of excitement. Mel gets drafted we had this wave of excitement. You know, but it was not really that sustained, you know, and then they bring Iverson in a lot of casuals are coming into Pepsi center. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know. I think, I think that that was, um, you know, in retrospect, extremely valuable. Mm-hmm. It's not like that there was like long-term assets that were, you know, lost over it. Um, and then it's kind of billups that like put, puts them over the top of that first, that first hurdle. Way I look at Iverson is he's the bet the most striking individual player I'd ever I've ever seen. Um, just he was a, a force of nature to watch. So I, that's it's pretty amazing. Um, and uh, without uh, Iverson here, we don't get uh, Chauncey Billups back. Um, right. Oh, do you know? Um, before I let you go, little okay. trivia question: Who else was included in that Chauncey Billups trade that was supposed to come back to Denver from Detroit? Do you remember? Hmm. I can't pull this one. Antonio McDice. Oh, I should have had that. <laughs> I was like, I was trying to picture former Nuggets in Detroit jerseys, and now it's that's coming into my mind. Antonio McDice. Yeah, I do remember that now. He he uh, didn't want to come back because he'd been traded twice. So <laughs> he's like, you know what? Screw you guys. So the Nuggets have to buy him out. And uh, imagine McDice on that 2008-2009 Nuggets team. I mean, they would have won. They would have won the championship that year. Oh man! Well, that was a good run. Uh, yeah, I don't. I, I, I'm. I'm hopeful that um, that that you know Jamal can come back this year mm-hmm. and like inject a little bit of that you know kind of you know feeling of hope that 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 sort of Iverson trade brought right. And because I think that's kind of what's like missing right now is you can appreciate the magic of what Jokic is doing. Um, I saw some ridiculous 
stat on Nuggets Twitter about how like the Nuggets are playing like a 70 win team with Jokic on the court and a seven win team with Jokic off the court. Oh God. (laughs) So like there's this, you can, you can just appreciate this. I I almost, you can't even put into words like the brilliance of him, but like without the, without something else, you know, to kind of give you a, give a sense that, you know, you want to at least be able to talk yourself into, well, you know, if if Chris Paul gets hurt and right, like you know, the West is not the West is a little bit more open than we think, and that's kind of true, right? I don't, you know, none, nobody besides Phoenix really scares you, and Paul is extremely vulnerable. Um, so hopefully we can get that. Hopefully Jamal can come back and give us our Iverson like, you know, kind of uh, jolt, and I don't know, you know, that, that you get into a into a six spot ideally or a seven which um which you could probably you know uh, be in good shape in the play in as a seven with two two wax at it I, right am i talking myself into this jeff well look with jamal look, look and let gordon just, let me just say um i think that oh by the way i uh i, I will send to you a, a a drawing i've made of 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 a picture like kind of like a, an elementary school of you and Aaron Gordon and a, like a, with a heart in the middle of it you know it's, oh, thank you <laughs> but thank you. you know how I love Aaron Gordon <laughs> but I think the he's Nuggets... close to my top three by the way I, that name crossed my mind when I said Billups I just want you to know Gordon is he's he's in the he's in the market okay sorry go so ahead what, what cornrows or frogo fro oh yeah oh yeah I think that the fro Gordon and the fro bones has is bringing a lot of positive vibes for mm-hmm. me oh yeah i agree with you in fact uh i think if jamal comes back the nuggets will avoid the play-in game and i think as, when we're looking at the at the at the situation right now honestly that is a fantastic result considering all their injuries so i think they can avoid it and if he comes back looking good well, they may make a run that two I forgot about game. the Warriors. You want to avoid the Warriors too, right? So yes. it's like you want to avoid the Warriors and the Suns. Yeah. And so you know that's tough. Um, right? Then you're you're hoping to get um, It'll be Utah. You know, you're hoping to get uh, Utah yeah. with with you know Jokic and the Grand Rapids Gold playing for another what month? <laughs> right. <laughs> months, three months before we get Jamal back. um so five feels feels hard to wish for um but you know so that's that's really what we're hoping for is that you kind of can draw inside straight to getting to getting uh utah you know or or chris paul goes down with an injury well i've kept you long enough tim all right and uh what i'm going to do is have you tell you give all the locations that people can find you and what you're up to right now I'm a multimedia content man, Jeff. Okay. Um, once yes. a week on Thursdays on Snapchat, you can watch Not My Party. If you don't have Snapchat, tell the teen in your life to watch it. It's uh, it's really aimed for kind of a weekly politics take for you know teens and young adults who who might not be encamped encamped in one of our two political tribes and are navigating their way through our weird politics. Uh, you can read me at the Bulwark. Uh, you can. You can watch my wheels off tweets on Twitter at TimODC. Uh, from time to time, I'm on MSNBC. Uh, and I don't know, I might do some other stuff. So I'm looking for other ideas. Um, and, uh, uh, I, you know, you can, ever, you can DM me on Twitter um, if you want, you know, to give me shit about any of my Nuggets takes.
<laughs> Dude, be sure and do that. And, and most importantly, Tim is my friend, so don't be mean to him. Okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. Thank you, Tim. I appreciate you coming on as always. And I may, you know, let's, let's do this again at the trade deadline or something like that. And hopefully we'll uh, we will for sure. We, we will for sure. Merry Christmas, everybody.